This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. These shows are brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, whose mission it is to help people find hope after loss. Well, Heidi, we have a fantastic guest today, don't we? Yes, I'm so excited to have Dr. Charles Coram on because I have cited to, to, to his work for years and years, and I did my dissertation on adolescence and loss, and he is all over this dissertation. So I can't believe we're, we have him on here. Very Fabulous. exciting. Yeah, and he's got some current books going. Yeah, Charles, you've got some current books going, don't you? Death and Dying, uh, Life and Living, which was done in 2009, and then uh, Adolescent right. Encounters with Death and Bereavement Coping with, by Springer in 2009, with, uh, co-edited with David Balk, and then uh, ch- your latest one, Children's Encounters with Death, Bereavement, and Coping with David Balk again. Do you sleep? How are you doing all this? We looked at what you were doing, and we said, okay, sleep is obviously overrated for Charles Core. I cannot believe all the current things you've done at the same time. It's, it's really impressive. And well, then you, thank you for all the nice things you've said about me. And then you're on all these uh, boards, senior editor of CHIPS e-newsletter on pediatric hospice and palliative care. Um, and uh, I noticed that you've volunteered at Compassionate Friends at times, I guess, to speak or something in your area? Mm-hmm, yeah. That's great, and uh, you've done a lot. Well, I really want to get into now, it's the end of summer, um, and I know our folks, have, a lot of them are newly bereaved, and I know that they've uh, maybe struggled with uh, kid issues during the summer and maybe uh, things getting ready for school or whatever. But I wanted to ask you, I know that you've worked with uh, families and you've done a lot of teaching. What do you think the problems are for our newly bereaved folks out there? Do you have any specific problems that you've heard? Well, I think it's only fair to say that folks who are themselves bereaved may find it hard to be supportive and helpful to children or adolescents. Uh, that's fully understandable if, if they're dealing with their own losses and their own challenges. Um, usually you recommend in situations like that that maybe somebody who is less uh, entangled in a bereavement might be, might be helpful, an aunt or an uncle, uh, a clergy person, a teacher, a counselor, um, what I worry about is not those folks. I, I worry about folks who um, engage in, in what I would call misguided protectionism. That is to say, they mean to mean well, they mean to help their children, but what they do is not helpful for any one of a number of reasons. They, they speak in language that children don't always understand. Um, they say things, for example, like... Uh, uh, when a pet dies, uh, God took your cat to heaven, and one child said, what would God want with a dead cat? And, you know, <laughs> like so that, yeah. I think children don't always understand the messages that we, that we say to them. Uh, there's a very popular children's book called The Fall of Freddie the Leaf, and it's about two leaves, and the season is changing, and they are the last ones, and, and what is their fall from the tree going to be like? And when Freddie falls, he just goes to sleep. And I don't think that's a good metaphor to link death to sleep because then a child might be afraid of taking a nap. All right. It can be scary so for kids. I, I, 
Yeah, I, I worry about the people who want to do good, but who perhaps misunderstand their own children's needs. And Well, you know, you make a lot of mistakes. Uh, you make a lot of mistakes right after your kids die. When my son was killed in an automobile accident, um, we had a 14-year-old, and I think um, that we can get into that adolescent, too. But, you know, you're so devastated. I remember my 14-year-old going to taking me to the mall, basically saying, let's go to the mall, and holding on to my arm and basically guiding me. I was like a blind person around the mall, you know, and that's just really weird, and it's scary, isn't it, for kids? Yes. It's a good point, though, that that you may be so devastated. If you're not so devastated, I think you could be a good role model for a child. You could show them that it's okay to cry, it's okay to be sad, it's okay to experience loss. But if you are, in the way you just described, if you are so devastated, um, getting some other person to be of help to you. But often children and adolescents can be helpful to adults, I think, uh, I, I think we often look at it as a one-way street. It goes from the big people to the little people. But um, in, in your example, your 14-year-old um, was supportive to you and helped you and guided you. Uh, children will often come to a, a, an adult, a mother or a father, who is uh, crying and sad and say, what's wrong, Mommy? What's wrong, Daddy? Can I hug you? You know, Can I help you? Uh, I, I think we need to allow children to be helpful to us. And, and if we make mistakes, I don't worry so much about mistakes. Anybody can make a mistake, and maybe we all make mistakes in situations like this. But um, I think if you then say to a child, look, something I said was wrong, uh, something I did was wrong, I, I, I didn't mean it the way it came across to you, um, and, and you know, I want to explain now why I am feeling the way I am or behaving the way I am, and I want to explain to you um, what I said, and and I, I wish I hadn't said it that way, uh, you know, what I really meant to say was the following. Um, mm-hmm. so, that, so, so that the kids can hear that and understand. It's never too late to kind of go back and, and work with it. I think that's an important factor. I love the idea about you're talking about bringing other people in because I think that's so important. There are so many resources. I find one thing that happened with me and also um, with other parents, sometimes we get overprotective and we're not um, looking for those other people to come in and help us. We want everybody to stay right. around us in the house together. You know, we want to know where everybody is. So I think having people come yeah, in can be great. Yeah, and mom, I'm thinking about like how they're being a teen and just the teens I've worked with, and Charles, I know, can really weigh on, in on this. It's so hard for teens when they've had the loss of a sibling because, like you said, that's a time where, where kids, and I know you've written about this, Charles, are kind of individuating and getting out on their own, and then all of a sudden parents start to pull them back into the family because they're, they're fearful that another child is going right. to die and they, you know, they need them closer at a time where they need more independence. So what would you say to, yes. to parents about that? I, mean, um, when they have I guess I'd say that, go, go ahead. I, I guess I would say that um, adolescence, as you've just indicated, is a time when, when uh, I'm no longer your child, I'm growing up to be myself, I'm, I'm separating in some ways from you, I'm trying to find my own competencies, and, and so I will often turn to peers, uh, but of course the peers usually are peers that um, came about because of where you lived or the school you had your children go to 
or so um, it's it's not that they're usually um, completely unknown people, uh, but they may not have had many loss experiences themselves, and so um, they may not always be helpful, or your adolescent may not be willing to open up to them. You know, it's not cool to cry. It's not cool to say I'm really upset because of my sister's death or my brother's death. Uh, I think that's well, really well, why that's support the... groups. Go ahead. Support groups for teens. That's the number one thing that I hear from parents. The number one thing is, and I know my mom was worried about this, we are worried as parents that our teens are not grieving because they don't, yeah. they aren't openly communicating with us about the loss. Right. And we're yes. fearful that and that, that means they're not grieving. No, that doesn't mean they're not grieving. They may be grieving inside. Um, let me tell you a, a different example, and then I'll come back to your teen question. Um, when a father died one time, a mother tried to be strong for her children, and so she did not openly uh, express her grief or her sadness. And uh, what she was doing was at night when she put them to sleep, she was crying herself to sleep in a closet. Um, and the kid said, Mom doesn't care that Dad died. See, she isn't doing anything. So I think sometimes we think that teens, because they aren't grieving in ways we understand or in ways that are similar to what we're doing, um, they're not really experiencing a loss here. But they may be, and they may be just keeping it inside. They may think, I have to be strong for mom. I have to take care of her. There's no one else around. Um, I think if, if such uh, children in general, but adolescents in particular, can be uh, introduced to support groups, uh, bereavement support groups, um, that can be extremely good for them because then they can see other children, other adolescents who have also had losses and who are also uh, struggling with how to cope with those losses um, and that what they're doing, what they're experiencing is perfectly natural and perfectly normal. Uh, it's not always easy to get wrong. adolescents into those groups, though. No, it's not always easy. That's a difficult uh, challenge sometimes. And you may, uh, for example, I've encountered recently um, a, a group, uh, um, a bereavement program for children that wanted to extend itself to, um, I think they were Latino uh, teenagers. And the problem was that they had a lot of after-school activities. They had sports. They had um, you know, maybe to earn, have a job, to earn some money, to help themselves and their family. So the program finally realized that they couldn't run um, after-school support groups, but maybe they could work with the school system and they could find a floating period in which they could run the support group during the school uh, week. Um, you can, sometimes we have to be imaginative. Um, in dealing with adolescence. Absolutely. Transportation can be a problem. Well, you know, you're uh, talking about going to Compassionate Friends. Compassionate Friends has um, an amazing national conference, and it'll be next summer. It's going to be in Minnesota, and uh, they have a great adolescent program there. So I would say to you folks, um, one way that I know parents get their kids out to that conference is they say, you know, look, this is what there is to do in Minnesota. Let's go, go a couple of days early. And uh, you guys go with us and, and try to make an event out of it. Because isn't it supportive, those programs, Heidi? They, they are. And I want to say one, one other thing, which is another Compassionate Friends belief, which I've really seen with kids and, and adults, 
if you can get the teens to go to these groups three times, oftentimes they are kind of, they like it. By the third time, they kind of like it and want to go back. But it's getting them there the initial three times that's difficult. It's not always easy. Well, Charles, yeah. I wanted to get to one other point with you about younger children. Because one of the things that we found um, is can be disturbing to parents. And particularly, Heidi and I were uh, working with a 9-11 uh, fireman family widows. We were, I was working in their program at Columbia. And one of the things that happened, um, I had a woman who was disturbed because her child was um, very young when the dad died, just born. And as he went through the stages of grief, as he got older, she found it disturbing. She was telling me she was sitting there eating dinner. It had been three years. And one of the waitresses came up to him, and all of a sudden he yelled out, my daddy's dead. And, you know, it was disturbing. Talk about how kids do go through. I mean, they're not just going to all of a sudden grieve, and that's the end, right? No, I think the kids very often... uh uh, cope with loss in in little bits. Um, uh, someone has said they dose themselves with their grief. So they um, look at some of that grief and then turn away from it for a while to protect themselves because they're interested in other things, because their life is more complicated than simply reacting to loss, um, and then may come back to it. And they may come back to that loss at moments that we don't expect. Um, that we think, oh, well, you know, it's been quiet for several months and um, he or the child is, isn't, um, isn't having any more reaction to that. And then all of a sudden um, you get a question like, you know, when will daddy come back? Uh, I've been waiting for him. Uh, there's a, a child's book called My Grandson Lou, and uh, grandpa used to come um, and babysit when mom and dad went away. And all of a sudden, one time, the boy says, when's Grandpa coming? And she says, oh, we didn't tell you. Grandpa died. Um, and we thought you, you didn't need to know that. And he said, well, I've been waiting. He always just came. You know, I never had to ask. Uh, and now I'm asking. And so at that point in this little tiny book for little kids, they, they exchange things, and finally, Mom, she tells him what it was like when he was born, and gra- Grandpa came and said, you know how grandparents say, my grandson, Lou, with the new baby, oh, it's just, you know, something miraculous. And she said, well, now we won't have to grieve alone. Now, now we can share this. So I think, uh, yeah, children can circle back around to, um, I'm not, if you don't mind my saying, I'm not a fan of stages. Uh, I, I'm a fan of because I don't think people go through grief in some kind of um, step-by-step process, and when they get to the end of that process, they're done with it. Uh, that's not been my experience or the experience of most of the grief people, children, adolescents, and adults that I've encountered. Most of them say, you know, I cope, and then it's Christmas time, and and that brings up new things, or it's a birthday, or an anniversary, or and I'm, it's, it's almost like it happened all over again, you know. Uh, so I, I, and I think, I think it's, and uh, I abs- Charles, we're, we're absolutely on the same page as you. And, and I've never met anyone that's gone through the grief process and done it in a stage-like model. And I think it's really, no. ref- it's really refreshing for people out there that are grieving to hear that. Because if you believe in this rigid model, then when you're not going through the stages in the right way, you get anxious and think something's wrong with you. And like you said, grief does go in waves, 
and different times of the year do trigger different emotions in us. Well, yeah, it, so it's I, challenging I enough to have to. It's challenging enough to have to deal with a loss, a significant loss in your life, without having to say, "Am I doing it the right way? You know, am mm-hmm. I, um, am, am I somehow following some magic pattern?" that I should be following. Now, I, I would say, I think there are wrong ways to deal with loss. You know, getting drunk and staying drunk for months, that's not a productive way to deal with your loss. It, it, right. The loss is still there when you sober up. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say there are never ways that, that we would recommend that you don't follow, but almost always for most people, um, they, they react in ways that are appropriate to them and their life and their situation. And the recent literature in the field speaks very strongly to resilience, that the vast majority of people are resilient and it's not fun, it's not a, a great thing you want to have happen to you, but uh, with support and friendship and companioning and, and maybe a support group or maybe a friendly a counselor or or, or the a, internet a don't forget person. <laughs> for the internet yes there are all kinds of resources nowadays for you just have to you know um evaluate those resources there's a lot of foolishness on the internet too right um but but there's a lot of good stuff there too and and so you know take it for what it's well worth and, and, and i think it's to help you i think it's important for parents to know about the resilient piece because oftentimes parents are afraid that a loss in their child's life will destroy their child's life. And what you're yes. saying is there's also a resilient piece for these kids, right? Yes, that's right. You know, kids encounter new things in their life all the time, and they ask you about them. You know, uh, we said, look at that great building to one of our children one time, and one of our kids said, well, what's it doing? And I thought, I don't know, what do, what do buildings do? Do they build? I mean, you know. So it was a new thing, uh, or, or you know, you see a new animal, or you have a new experience, or uh, we have a young granddaughter, and at one point she said we were going to come and visit, and she asked her mother, could we bring our pool? You know, she <laughs> knew you couldn't carry a pool on the airplane, but on the other hand, wouldn't it have been a great idea? You know, So, I mean, kids encounter novelty, and some of the novelty is fun, like those examples, but some of the novelty is not so fun. It, it's challenging and hurtful and difficult. And, um, you know, support, guidance, availability, um, honesty. Uh, honesty is not the same as telling people every terrible fact you know about the death. Honesty is telling children, in particular adolescents, telling them what they need to know and what is truthful and reliable so you won't have to go back and say, oh, that really didn't happen. You know, I really didn't tell you the truth. Uh, as, long, as long as we can be there and be available to children, I think that's the most important thing. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic. And people can get your book, I assume, by going to um, Amazon or any of your three books. And uh, your last yes, one, indeed. Children's Encounter with Death, Bereavement, and Coping. Uh, what a wonderful thing you've done for the whole field, and, and we want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. So, Heidi. Thanks, it's, Chuck. Heidi, it's been great to thank have you. Chuck, Chuck Cora on, hasn't it? Absolutely. He has been one of my role models and heroes in the field for many, many years, so <laughs> it's an honor to have him on today, I've got to say. 
Yeah. Thanks a lot, Chuck. We appreciate well, I, you. I'm glad to hear that. You know, sometimes <laughs> you publish books of the kind that you reference, and they sail off into the blue, and you're never quite sure what their impact has been. So thank you for saying that it was helpful to you to encounter those books. I, I hope they're it, it absolutely. It absolutely was, and I'm so excited to learn that you're more than just a citation. There's a real person behind, <laughs> you know, Quorum Bach. There's a real person. <laughs> there are real, there are two yes, real people true. behind those citations. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, and hopefully we'll see okay. you at ADAC, the Association of Desk Edu- Educators yes. in Florida, next year. And I'm hoping we're going to do oh, some... Oh, that's right. It's in Miami. Yeah, yeah. and we're hoping okay. to do some more YouTube. So we hope you can get you on YouTube next year, too. Oh, we'd love to do that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank right. you thank you so much for being on. And you've been listening to the Open to Hope show with Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. We want to remind you, if you've lost hope, lean on ours until you found it again. Because as our guest has said today, there's a lot to be said for resilience. And we've been there and made it. And we know you can, too. Please stay tuned again next um, um, Thursday. We'll be posting a new show on the Open to Hope website at 9 o'clock. Pacific Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for more of the Open to Hope show. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.